I'm excited about today because Paul uses a tremendous illustration, and um, he uses the illustration of the body. We've all got one, and so he uses it because we can relate, right? We've all got a body. Whether yours is treating you well or not, um, we've all got one. But he uses it as a powerful illustration. I want to go with us to 1 Corinthians 12. We're in our series in 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. And uh, Wednesday nights, we've been picking apart these ideas from the, the chapters we're reading. And um, this Wednesday is no exception, as we're going to take a, a look at this. And, and there's so many things that people are bringing out that God is showing them and revealing to them. And it's just, it's just been beautiful. So if you can't make Wednesdays, yeah, try to be here when you can. But he leaves off where we talked about last week about the spiritual gifts. And he talks about how significant and important they are for the church. And um, we want to see them in action. Amen? We want to see, we heard uh, God speak today and how we should enter into his presence, right? And I had my earphones on back in the drums and I could hear it. You know, it came through. Lord was saying, hey, press in. I am here for my, for my presence. And um, he wants and desires us to commune with him and he with us. And when we do, he, we receive his touch. Isn't that a beautiful thing? How that when we're worshiping him, we sense his presence of his spirit. And I don't know how many of you are going through a very difficult and challenging time right now. You may be. I believe that this message is for you. And that God has healing for you through the body of Christ. Let's just talk about this. He starts off in verse number 12 by saying this. For just as the one body is one and has many parts. So he's starting off with a previous thought. All these spiritual gifts are for the enrichment of the church. They're for the encouragement of the saints, right? And he says, for just as one body is one, the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul opens up this part with an appeal that he began back in chapter 1, and it's appeal for unity. <clears throat> He's going to say, unless you're unified, there's no use. He says it in chapter 1. He is constantly dealing with their disunity. In chapter 1, they're divided over super preachers. They've all got their favorites. Chapter 2, they're divided over Holy Spirit preaching versus eloquent speaking. Chapter 3, they're divided over leaders. Chapter 5, they're divided over sex. Chapter 6, they're divided over each other. Chapter 7, they're divided over being single or not single. Chapter 8, they're divided over food. Chapter 9, they're divided over what it means to be a real follower of Jesus. Chapter 10, they're divided over being just offensive. In chapter 11, they're divided over whether or not to wear hats in church. And it kind of seems a little silly, but here in verse 12, they're divided over Who's most important, the eye or the hand? Like, who can answer that question? Uh, back in, in uh, chapter 1 and verse 10, he dealt with it, their disunity there. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there be what? No divisions among you. That you're perfect, perfectly united in mind and thought. So Paul does this two times. Again, right after, in chapter 1, right after verse 10, he does it in verse 11. Then he does it again in verse 13. And unity is the foremost issue that he sees for them because they're divided. How many have heard of John Bevere? John Bevere is a powerful ministry, and one of the, the video series he put together and a book that he wrote is called The Bait of Satan. And the Bait of Satan is a powerful book. Every Christian should read it. It's basic Christianity. If you're a Christian, everybody should have the Bait of Satan in their library. The Bait of Satan is the, the, the bait that Satan puts among believers. And he lures it out there, and believers jump at it, and it is being offended. It is being offended, and they allow offense to come up. And after a while, there's disunity. The Bait of Satan is quite the word to put it in, and he calls this uh, the, the major thing that the enemy wants to do, he wants to divide and conquer the church. Well, let me tell you, during COVID, he divided the church. 
There was people that were mask, no mask. If you don't wear a mask, I'm not coming to church. I heard it. If you do wear a mask, well, you're, you're just hysterical. You know, I'm going to put my red hat on and show you, right? Everybody got that? So what we do? So we had, we said, okay, we're not going to do church. And we sat in the, right there where Mike is, and we preached our little sermons on video, and we had our little thing, and we recorded worship sessions, and we put it online because, you know, we wanted to still have church. So we had church, and people were, were watching online, and they were still giving. In fact, giving stayed strong during COVID. It only fell apart afterwards, which most churches are seeing actually now. And so we, we did all this stuff. We decided, this is crazy. Let's do parking lot church, right? So we got in the parking lot, and we broadcast. Remember, we had a stage out there. People drove their cars up. And, and the problem was, which really wasn't a problem, everybody got out of their cars and started hugging each other. And I'm like, okay, these people really like to be together. But people, no matter which side somebody was on, it's like all of a sudden there's this chaos within the family of God and there was this disunity. And finally I said, if they're going to hug each other, we're coming back in. I didn't care. So two months after, everybody was still not having church. I said, we're going to have church. So we took out half the chairs and people that wanted to come could come. Those online could come. We tried to make it as, as easy to access as possible. And people just started coming back to church. It's like, let's just go back to church. Some people wore masks. That's fine. They can wear a mask. That's totally okay. The problem isn't the mask, or the problem wasn't even COVID. The problem was it was just a lure. It was just a lure. And the Bible talks about this and that God's church shouldn't be divided. And Satan wants it to be divided. The bait of Satan is that it would be divided. Their jealousy could cause contention which is the worst thing. Proverbs 13.10 says, pride is the source of all contention. You know, that's just really telling, isn't it? All contention, the, the source of that is pride. Only by pride comes contention. Lies would cause mistrust. Hearts would scheme to defraud others. Those who love to talk about others would rise up. Backbiting, unforgiveness would cause bitterness. It would lead to jealousy, and, and jealousy ultimately division because there's no agreement. People uh, fighting or disagreeing at all the time like they were disagree disagreeing about hats in church. There was no peace. How many like to be in a family that fights all the time? Maybe you grew up in one, and you're like, yeah, that's not good. I don't like this environment. Hebrews 12.15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the what? Grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. The root of bitterness comes from being offended. When God's people get offended, all of a sudden they say something. Some people, as a pastor, get offended. They just never come to church again. They never tell me why, which actually that's probably better. But they just carry on their little fence, they're ticked off, and so they just go, and, I'm just going to leave. That's happened before, unfortunately, and it's, you know, something that I'm often the scapegoat for. I've learned that to grow thick skin, you have to be in this job, you have to have thick skin. Sometimes my skin is not that thick, I admit. But you know what? The Bible calls this the worst thing. Proverbs 6, um, 16, right? These six things does the Lord hate? Seven are an abomination. You learn them in kids' church, Sunday school. It goes from the head down, right? Haughty eyes, proud look. They should, you know what? In Proverbs, the writer there should have put nose in that, too. Haughty eyes, right? I think the King James calls it a proud look. Haughty eyes, arrogance, a proud look, lying tongue. Communication things, both. To people, not God. Right? And then what? Hands that are quick to shed innocent blood. Then a heart that devises evil schemes. Schemes are against people. Right? Feet that are swift to run to trouble. I like chaos. I'm going to run to trouble. And then what does it say? Does somebody know? Because I forgot. 
So haughty eyes, a mouth that speaks lies, hands that are quick to shed innocent blood, feet that, are, that run to evil, um, a, 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 a person who spews lies, a false witness, a person who spews lies. He doesn't say something that's true. And then God says, the worst thing I hate of them all, number seven, these six things does the Lord hate, but number seven is the worst. Someone who sows discord among brothers, who causes disunity within my people. That person is the worst in God's eyes. In fact, the Bible says, these six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven is an abomination. And you're saying, wait, God doesn't hate anybody, but that's just not true. The Bible says several times that God does hate some people. And here is a situation where we find God hating so badly. The worst thing that can be done within the family of God, according to God himself, is one who sows discord. Unity is the opposite. Unity is the product of love, mercy, and grace, right? 1 Peter 4.8, Peter writes, above all things, love each other deeply. Love one another deeply. Because love covers over a couple of sins. A multitude of sins. It covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. In other words, enjoy people. How many, don't raise your hand, might find that hard to do. Maybe you're one of those that just likes to be alone. I can understand that. My subscriptions to motorcycle things are solo riders. A lot of riders go out, you know, Harley riders. They all ride together all the time, big groups. I'm just kidding. It's fun to ride together, though. I love going with people. We went to Leavenworth. Oh, it was beautiful, wasn't it? And we had so much fun, even though it was not the best weather. It was fun because you're together. But being solo is unique. It has a, it's fun too. But in this respect, God's saying, hey, when you're part of the family of God, learn to enjoy one another's company. Hey, get used to it. He says, love one another deeply. Offer hospitality one another without grumbling about it. Each one should use whatever gift. That says the gifts. We're going to talk about those more tonight. Gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Look at these things. Love one another deeply. Why? Because it covers over sins. When you love deeply, someone sins, you have mercy. Mercy comes out of that love, and you're like, I understand the hand you were dealt in this situation, and God has grace for you in it, and I'm going to extend that grace. Love deeply to forgive, because forgiveness holds that one that you have a problem with hostage. And that's the worst thing you can do. And there can be no unity where there's tension and where there's strife. Love knows when it's better to be gracious than when to be right. Come on, husbands and wives. Love knows when it's better to be gracious than when it is to be right. Love knows how to comfort when there's a broken heart. Love understands people need more grace because they are already judging themselves. I'm sure you've talked with people before and you know they feel badly about something and it's the wrong place for us as believers to beat them up with the Bible, right? It is to say, Man, in order for us to receive the full measure of what God says in his word, we've got to receive his grace on ourselves first. People that don't forgive themselves, they're the most miserable people to be around in the world. Consider how Jesus loved you. In spite of your faults and my faults, he loved me anyway. Then he says, offer hospitality without grumbling. As I mentioned before, offering hospitality has a huge meaning. It, it means more than serving coffee in the foyer at church, although not unimportant. I think that's good. I don't like coffee, but I love the smell of it. You know, I could live in the coffee aisle in the supermarket. It's just, ah, some people are like, hey, that's gross. Some people are like, yes, that's me. In other words, this means fond of guests, the joy of having company. But more personally, though, the joy of being in someone's company. It's not that I have to get my house ready and I've got to get so that I can have these people over. My goodness. 
I let my grass die a long time ago. If you come over to my house, I don't care. Now, some of you care about grass. I wish I could pave it and paint it green. Just me, it's just money being thrown out that I could buy a motorcycle tire with. It doesn't need to be watered, right? The water costs money. That's absolutely. Obviously. We're trying to water that, this part out here at church, and it's still dying. It's just me. I don't have a green thumb. I just, I kill whatever I look at, I guess. I don't know. But um, the joy of being in relationship means getting past the barriers of our notions, not caring if our grass is dead or that our family room's not in total order is not necessarily what it's talking about. It's talking about just loving and caring. How many of you get in a conversation with somebody and you're not a good listener and this is how you know that you're already thinking about what you're going to say before you're finishing listening to what they have to say? That is not a good listener. A good listener gives thorough concept and actual focus to what the person is saying before they formulate an answer. Sometimes we can't wait to tell our story next, so we cut them off. So they, I mean, I've been caught there. God wants us to show hospitality. I don't know why. That's free. But anything. The added hit is to what he says, offer this without grumbling. And I think that some say complaining. And it's not like, this is something, oh, what a chore. I believe this is something as we get to, closer to the heart of God, we become more like Jesus. And he cares enough to stop and talk to somebody who's sitting at the gate. Use your gift, number three. And gifts vary to minister to God's grace. Then you're desiring unity. And look what he says, verse number 14. Let's finish this section of the Bible. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot will say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, what would that make sense a part of the, that, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, would it be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, what would it be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Verse 23, and on those parts of the body we think that we think less honor, we bestow more greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And I'm so blessed by that in our church family. We do see that. We see when somebody is hurting, we're concerned, we pray, we call, we, we want to bring them food. Man, we can bring food, can't we? Oh my goodness. We care. But Paul says first that we are all members of God's family and because we've received Christ. And once we receive Christ, we step into that family. Secondly, he goes through this comedy routine, which I find quite funny, like feet and hands and eyes talking about their situation. I mean, the feet says, I don't want to be part of the body. The hands say, I don't want to be part of the body. That's nonsense, right? It may not be impossible to be a Christian without the church body, but it's quite impossible to grow in Christ, I believe, without the functions of the church family together. Being separated from that family is not good. In fact, we take care of the parts that seem less important with great care and modesty. The church is us, the people here today, but we took care of this building to a degree that we're gathered here today. There's cool air, there's sound, there's a, a joyful environment that we've engaged in worship in. But that's not the church. You are the church. In fact, we take care of some of our parts that seem less important with great care. He is quite literally saying that just because I don't want to be part of the church anymore, I don't want to contribute to the church or nurture the health of the church by using my gift in the church, um, that I don't need the church family. I, I, I have known many. Some, I, like I said before, I never know why. 
And it seems like there's a disconnect in our culture greater than ever before that says because so many churches might be broken or there's issues in churches or I don't like the preacher, I don't like the music, I don't like sister so-and-so, all of these things would come up with all these reasons not to be a part of the body. And God says, I hate disunity. I despise it when you're acting this way. Yeah, you don't seem to understand it. As, as Paul's saying, I put churches in these communities and they have leaders in these places and, and they're all working together to grow in the Lord because the church is basically mostly uh, so the believers can be built up so we can go out and reach. Because we are the missionaries when we leave here. We are the ones that go. We are the ones that minister. We are the ones that uh, talk to our neighbors. We're, we're in the shopping. When we do our events and things here, that's wonderful. When we do uh, things that reach out in the community, that's wonderful as a group. The, the community needs to see that. But we are the community. The primary burdens of the church are, are still the same, to love our fellow Christians and brothers in Christ. And this is a first and foremost priority. The church was together. They believed. Then they were together. And I know the concepts of the church have changed, and there's, there's churches that are maybe huge churches, and you can just go and just attend and listen to an eloquent sermon and leave. Some of them are very good because they are impacting their city and their community. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that the, the, the group that you belong to, that God has put you in, you have to be a part of the family. God put these people together, not apart. They believed, they, they were together, they spent time in God's word together, they prayed together, they, they ate pizza together, they worked together, the, the church was together, not apart, and it was only successful as long as it was together. The role of the church leaders was to keep it together, to guard it together, to watch over it together, and if someone wanted to be divisive, the leaders had to deal with that together. And together the church gives, the church serves, the church grows, the, the faith of the people grows, and the power to do things grow in our lives. And the church has a loving father with many kids, and we all share this life together. Tell the world about Jesus is another purpose of God's church. The primary reason God sent the Holy Spirit into the church was to empower them. And what did it empower them for? It empowered them for life. And for encounters of people that they would meet and see that were broken and hurting because of the chaos in this world, they were to respond to and activate, be activated in Acts 1a, but then they were supposed to be Acts 29. That's who we are today. We are the last chapter in Acts is 28. We're supposed to be Acts 29. We are continuing on the story of the church, the story of even Abundant Life Church, this place together. The church, believed, the church grew and they, had, they, they brought new believers in and they encouraged one another. I had somebody years ago, we took him to a conference and he was a younger believer in this conference. You know, when you go to a conference, you're just impressed. I mean, they've got the lasers and the smoke and the, you know, the super awesome guitar players and the, the guy with the long hair and he's really young and he's got the look, you know, he's got tats all over. And, you know, they go to the conference, wow, if my buddies would come to this service, they'd follow Jesus. I said, no, they won't. It's not about that. That might be the hook, but following Jesus comes in response of humility saying, Jesus, I want you to be Savior. And when you do that, you become part of the family. Why do you need the church family? Number one, to put you in a group that shares your love for Jesus and each other. How many have a pet peeve? I'm sure you got a pet peeve. I don't know where it came from. Where, you know, we put it back where it came from is one of my pet peeves. When somebody comes and moves something, and uh, you know, maybe it's a guy thing, I don't know. And then it gets moved even a couple inches. I'm like, where is it? I put it right here. What is the deal? It's like, oh, it was, I remember uh, one time Pam's aunt came over, and I'm like, man, I know I put my coat on the back of this chair. I was going out, and, and I looked, I mean, 10 minutes, I looked for my coat. Oh, I hung it in the laundry room because it was out here. And I'm like, oh, that's fine, but man, you caused me some pain. When the tools gets moved or used, I'm like, that didn't go back where it's supposed to now. I'm, I've wasted half an hour. I've had to try to do it another way, and of course it was right. Pet peeves. One of the pet peeves I, uh, I have, and I don't know why, 
Don't take this the wrong way if you come to my house. Okay, I'm telling you something very personal, something people should probably never know about me. I always put the seat down after I did my thing in the toilet. I do. I know it's not normal for most guys. Maybe for your house it is. I was trained to put the seat down when I was done. I was trained to take a piece of toilet paper and wipe the ring and put it in the toilet and wash my hands really good after I was done. And sometimes we know when we've had company because the seat toilet on our house has been left up. This is a fact. And some people don't do that. It's fine. I don't care what you do when you do your business. It's a pet peeve. Well, God has more than a pet peeve. Not just an annoyance with those who say, yeah, but I don't need to be part of the family. He says, you're wrong. He says, you've got a problem. Just because you don't feel like you can get along with somebody because you don't like somebody or because the way something was said or the way that the song was sung or, or the way that there was a lack of a drummer that Sunday or, or the way that this was happening, just because this is like this, and it says, this is God's biggest pet peeve. No more like a great disdain for, for people avoiding his love and power. He doesn't like it. He builds the church, and then he trusts us with gifts to help the church. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades, gates of hell, will not overcome it. People. He uses people. Secondly, a church family helps keep you from being a lone ranger. You know, we went to the Texas Ranger Museum in Waco, Texas. I love, I've been there twice. I love going there. And uh, you go in there, and they have this one section, the fictional section, where they have the Lone Ranger and Tonto, you know. Not too politically correct for our age. I mean, what is it with Tonto? He was always getting captured, tortured by the cowboys. Lone Ranger had to come and save him, but yet he was the best with that bow. He could hit anything, right? Nobody dislikes this more than God. He doesn't want Lone Ranger Christians. I don't care what the model of the church culture begins to look like. That's not what God says. I heard it said best this week. A pastor was asked in his church, hey, do you lean left? Because, pastor, you're coming a candidate, and our church leans a little left. And I just, I just got to ask you. Or do you lean right? And he said, we don't lean left or right. Christians, stand up. Right? The word of God is what we're doing here. We're saying, this is the way that God intended for the church to be, to stand up. I don't care what the world's doing left. I don't care what they're doing right. If they're doing right on the right or left, I'm going to say praise God. But I'm just going to say praise Jesus because the cross waves higher than the flag. And Jesus is first. His word is paramount. The principles in his word are worth living out loud. Come on, this is really good preaching. It's not just really good preaching for a compliment. It's preaching what we need in the church. It's one of the gifts God has given the church. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 26, Paul says, if one part of the body suffers, all the other parts suffer with it. Or if one part of our body is honored, all the other parts share its honor. It wasn't that long ago, I remember when Somebody in our church was very ill. And I called a couple times, and I just hurt with their family. And she came through. She's here today in church. It was a terrible ordeal, very life-threatening. But I remember our church family praying and saying, how is she? What's going on? And they called her, and they talked to her. St. Francis wrote the church body as a classroom to learn how to get along in God's family. Ephesians 4.16, Paul writes this as well to the church. He says, as each part does its special work, it helps all the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full in love. I know that my mouth and stomach take in a lot of food. The rest of me grows. Some parts more than others, but we do what we do for one another to help us grow. It's just like a regular family with parents and things. God is our loving Heavenly Father, and we have siblings. You don't get to choose them, but you get them. When you become a Christian, you're born into this family. A family don't agree to, we don't, like I say, choose our family members. You don't get everything you want, but you do get a family. There's that brother-in-law you just don't get. <laughs> Sister-in-law you don't understand, maybe. That son-in-law you think is crazy. 
being an outlaw or an in-law, maybe that's you, I don't know. I went to visit my family some years ago in Michigan, and I had come from a large family on both sides, really. And we, they have this breakfast at uh, a Burger King there in uh, Twin Lake, Michigan. It's a very small place. So we go to this Burger King. And I'm standing there for this photo. I would have put it up here for you, but I'm the shortest one. Okay, I'm 6'3". My family, there's a lot of likeness there. When you get a family, we're sharing a likeness in the spirit. We're sharing a likeness that comes from the Lord, a salvation experience that has drawn us together because we've been enlightened by God's presence. And all of a sudden, we look at the world differently. I used to think one way. I used to think this would bring me happiness and fulfillment and joy and peace. And then I came to Christ, and I began to learn about his word and the precepts in it. And and, and all of a sudden, we began to grow, and we become part of the family. In a healthy family, people tolerate differences and, and work hard to become friendly and even care for one another. They make time to be together and to work together and to play together. This church likes that. We pray hard together. We play hard together. I love that about our family. In our family, there are private things. In our family, there are members that struggle. There there are members that challenge you. And that's how God's family is supposed to be. Paul talks about this in his letters to the church. But the church is God designed. It's supposed to be that healthy family. We're, We're called to serve together in the same direction. Matthew 5, 9 Jesus says, blessed are you when you show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's how you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Amos 3.3, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so. Unity. Ephesians 4.3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Some Christians become lone rangers because they're, they're terrified of being stained by the world. I don't want to reach out or go to a church because they're not preaching the full gospel. That pastor, he don't, he don't lay the law down hard enough. He just don't preach it right from the word. I'm like, what were you listening to? You know, I, I, I preach sometimes and <coughs> you can say one thing and the people near never hear the rest of it because they get that one thing and people this happens with us all the time Chris, some Christians are long rangers because hey, they're afraid I'm, I want to follow Jesus I don't want to be among the believers which is your place unless you are physically unable to be with the family of God there's no reason not to be we're going to buy a um, we are going to buy a piece of land in Montana we're going to set up our camp there we're going to eat elk and rabbits we're going to read the scriptures every morning from 9 to noon. Have a little time for prayer. Drink some water. Tie our shoes at 12.01. We're going to come back together. We're all going to have this little compound. We might have a, you know, powwow, kumbaya at night. Maybe with marshmallows if everybody's good. This is the idea. Some have. Some are like on the roof packed with their bags ready. Jesus, take me in the rapture now. And that's not the way God's called us to be. Now, some Christians avoid culture altogether, so we isolate from the church and, and, and the world through fear. And we're so insecure from what God being able to protect us, we never engage in the family. Let me tell you, this is not how church is writing the books for contemporary church necessarily. This is just what God is saying in his word. Be together, love each other, care for one another, and use your gifts together. Paul, he he became all things to all people to reach some. Jesus prayed for us. He said, I don't pray that you take them out of the world. (laughs) What? I got my bags packed, ready for the rapture. These four no more inside the walls. Wait a minute. But you, you would protect them from the evil one, he said. Why people leave church. Lifeway Research did a, a study, Tom Rainer's book. I wrote this a few years ago and highlight the top 10 reasons. Number 10, they moved and never went back. I see that. I've seen it a lot in a military church. Number nine, they left when the pastor left. That's a common thing. Eight, they didn't give to the church. People that don't give aren't vested. God calls us to give so that we feel connected and we feel like we are part of the mission. If you don't give, you're not vested, 
and it's easy to leave. They didn't, uh, number seven, they, they never felt connected to the church. Well, that could be the church's fault. It could be a weird season. It could be something. But a belief, this is believer issues, I think, mostly. Number six, they had, they, they had a need. They felt the church didn't meet it. Number five, they couldn't find a church to meet their needs. As a Christian, that's a pretty selfish position. Number four, they were hurt at church. I have seen this. I've heard the stories of those that come in. And unfortunately, sometimes when they come in and they tell me their sad story of what happened when they, they came here, it's going to be the same one when they go out the back door here. I have seen it. It's not that it's, it's happened before too. And I take those causes with great pain with the person. People have been hurt in churches and it's terrible. It's an awful thing. But friends, there's got to be a time where Christians pull up their bootstraps. They begin to pray and seek God rather than the church. The church is the fellowship, the family of God. And some people are stubborn, they're obstinate, they're immature. They need to grow up. But hopefully, with the, with the aid of God's presence and his Holy Spirit, we can work those things out. Three, they decided they didn't like the institutional church. I've heard this. I don't like organized religion. I'm not going to church. And organize. You're part of the what? Somebody like God? What is that? You know, that's part of that group. Crazy people swinging from chandeliers. I don't have to do that. I don't want to just be sermonized every Sunday. How many have heard that one? I don't want to be sermonized. Oh, I've heard that. Oh, my goodness. Maybe that's what I'm doing. Number two, they left after they graduated high school. 60% of young people never come back. Once they graduate and leave high school, that they were raised in church, in America, they don't come back to church. Number one, they got out of the habit. Now, here's what it looks like from my perspective as a pastor, and I share this with all love, a couple, a couple of them anyway. This is churched people I'm talking about. Unchurched people don't have these problems. First, there's a person, that, they're a person that's kind of around because their previous church tradition just put it in them. I'm going to be loyal and faithful no matter what. Great quality, right? But maybe they're never fully engaged in the family, and they eventually fade. Right? They hit and miss. But because it's just in their DNA, they're going to be there when they can. Finally, it's Christmas and Easter, you know, the lilies and the whatever. Second person I've noticed, they get involved in some way. They get offended by someone, usually because... They didn't get what they thought or what they wanted from them, and they fade away. They were rejected in a sense. When someone suffers rejection in a church, it's hard for them to come back. And that can be a very damaging, hurtful thing. I'm not discounting it as a hurtful thing, but this happens mostly to churched people. Finally, the third kind of person is a churched person that can't fully engage in the word or doctrines that are being espoused by the church. And they leave or they fade away. And I've seen all of these things happen. And they're very sad because, and that one's the hardest one. The other ones can be rescued. They really can. The one that will not face or turn from what their doctrines, if they're contrary to Scripture, I, I, that's hard to deal with. But these other ones, when people have been hurt, the Bible says basically go out, get them, bring them back. And it's not just the pastor's responsibility, friends. Because... A lot of times, they don't have a problem with the pastor. Sometimes they do. I've ran into that a lot. Sometimes they have a church with the church problem with the church family. The personalities in the church family. I'm just sharing openly. Can I, I mean, this is just our church. Number three, your church family needs you. It's a selfish position. To be in the family of God, not serve your church. In your church. Serve Jesus at your church, I should say. It's a selfish position if you're a Christian, an abundant life, to not serve in church and a ministry, minister to one another, people, even through friendship, fellowship, simple things that sustain its purpose and mission. I had someone throw a fit in my office some time ago because they weren't picked for some position. And they actually huffed and puffed in an email they wrote me, and it was, oh, this, that. Don't do that. Instead of finding a place where someone could get in and fit and do and serve with humility, 
Some people are looking for a position, and you can see them a mile away. We're not doing that here, right? We're looking to serve in love. Finally, everyone is gifted. Verse number seven, he says, the spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. The New Living says this. I love that, right? Don't misunderstand this point. You may have a wider ministry somewhere else. You might have a, a ministry that's called you to do something else, but that is in addition to your local church family. Your church family is important. It should be first. Jesus has promised to, not to build your ministry. He has promised to build his church. And, and until Pam and I moved to Lakewood, Tacoma area, we never realized that people attended so many churches. It's like people were, they attended five and six churches and we're like, we never, this is a culture shock to us when we came here. We didn't know this was going on. And it was just, this just the way this area was. I'm like, whoa, there's, there's, how can the church get momentum? How can the church do when the people are like half in, they're not really all there. They jump from one place to another, depending on what ministry this church had or, or what great youth pastor was over here or what great worship leader was at that church. Oh, they had a revival series meetings. We're going to go over there and we're just going to stay there for a couple months. You know, I've seen it. But one thing I've seen, I've noticed this too. When you preach the word that they always get on the train, but they always come back at the next stop. Because they realize there's just all this other stuff out there. And they'll call me and, oh, this is going on and crazy. Totally different now, I think, from what it used to be. And because everyone attends several churches during the week, because we have YouTube now. So when you're a part of your church family, you'll talk good about your church family and the good things that you appreciate about it. You may not appreciate everything about Larry. You may not appreciate everything about Verla, although that's impossible. You should repent of your sins. Um, you may not fully appreciate everything about Terry or, or Permetric. But you can talk about the good things, right? You know, we can do that. Appreciate our friendship and shared mission that we have and our concern for the world and our missionaries that we support and pray for. Pray for one another's health and wealth. God desires to help you be able to give and to serve and to be a part of his family. God wants you to use your gifts in his family. I came across this little poem that I read some time ago. It goes like this. God beckons storm clouds and they come. He tells the wind to blow and the rain to fall and they immediately. He speaks to the mountains. You go here and the seas. You stop here and they do it. Everything in all creation responds in obedience to its creator until we get to you and me. We have the audacity to look God in the face and say, no. So God is calling us to love one another deeply. He loves, and he wants us to love as he loved the church. What is Paul saying? Love one another deeply. Get along. You know, it was, it was four years ago. We were wondering how we were going to place the HVAC system at church. It was over $40,000. And people gave, and we committed. And remember, uh, we sent out this plea. I sent out an email to some uh, longtime supporters of Abundant Life that had moved away and said, you know, would you help me with this fund? It'll be a matching fund. And we raised over $20,000, and we prayed together. Another church said, hey, let's write you a check for twenty grand." Because together we sought the Lord. God sent an outside donor. Over the past 28 years, Abundant Life has sent teams on 13 foreign missions trips. We've gone into Mexico, Mexico City, Southern Canteen Valley a few times. We've gone to El Salvador. We've gone to uh, Cuba. We have gone to um, Dominican Republic. And recently we've gone to Kenya. We haven't done any trips uh, since the COVID issue hit. But I'll, I'll never forget the team going to El Salvador. They didn't, we didn't have enough. There was only five of them, men. We call them the five guys. And they're going to El Salvador. So how are we going to raise all this money for you to go? We prayed and God sent a little project along for them to work on and do and they raised their money. Because we prayed together. Four times Abundant Life has given out over 3,000 water bottles in our community that says you look thirsty from your neighbors at Abundant Life. Painted faces, hundreds of faces. That's gross. I have blown up and made so many water balloon or, or balloon craft things. 
I can make giraffes and dogs and footballs and silly hats. And I can make more stuff with balloon crap than I want. Just an art that I learned from meeting the pastor, right? I can't even blow up one now. You know how hard those things are to blow up? Oh, my goodness. And together we serve, we teach, we have children's classes twice a week, and we have our fellowships here. Together we support, we give to our missions partners. I've called on church family members that have given their cars to people in our church in the past. Um, together we, we're, we're replacing the windows in our building. We're doing things for our building. But most importantly, together we share with our family our spiritual gifts, our encouragement, our hospitality, our, our seeking God together for an outpouring of His Holy Spirit in our church, in our city, in our state, in our nation, in our world. We're doing these things together because we are a family together. An abundant life and the church family will continue to accomplish great things if we are unified. God promises to build his church, and he will in Lakewood. God promised revival of his church, if my people, but in all unity, because a house divided cannot stand. Just because you are the hand doesn't make you the eye, but you can help the eye. Just because you have great gift of evangelism doesn't mean you can be frustrated with those who serve in the church, maybe. Just because you love to serve and cut weeds doesn't mean you resent those who administrate paying the bills. The whole body serves together. You have the gift of prophecy and it's desperately needed. You have the gift of helps. You have the gift of mercy. You have the gift of faith that can believe for those with the gift of knowledge that the thing revealed will have an answer. And those with the gift of prophecy need a lot of people with mercy. Those who are pastors and leaders in this life may not be at the front of the line in heaven. The gifts and their place are not up to you. Verse 18 says that God has placed all these body parts together as he wanted them. And would you come? As he wanted them. This church family will be a blessing to all we engage if we're unified. The thing that is the priority at Abundant Life is our prayer, our prayer gatherings, our prayer services, our prayer meetings. Understand this. Amputation is not in the plan. Amputation is not an option. You know, one thing that amputees have when they are first missing part of their a limb from their body or their hand or their, their leg, or, they have a, a disorder called phantom disorientation where they, they'll go to scratch their ear, but their hand's no longer there. They, they, they feel like it's there, but they'll go through the motion. Someone has been said um, uh, by Pastor Bob, at first, you, it's like you know you can walk because your legs are there, but you look down and they were, of course they were gone. It's, it's a remarkable mental game that's being played. This game should never be played in the church. Amputation is not an option. Exercise your gift given to you by God in this family. Show hospitality. This is not an option, Paul gives. It's really correcting the church. And I think it's a good word for us. Listen, um, don't receive it so harshly as though we're all under this great correction. Like, oh man, we're really getting hit hard today. The Holy Spirit's in you great. But I also want to say, I see such great qualities among this family. I, I don't know, every week when I gather with my men groups for prayer, it's, it's a joy to see them. And they're sharing about life and Ray pulling some engine out of a car and then having to put it back in. Or Mike having, Mike dealing with the brakes on... I, I, we just, we just, just thing, just life. Do you know people in church where you're sharing that? That grit. Do you, do you carry their burden with them that way? Are, are you connected? It, it's not the pastor's fault if you're not. It's, it's you saying, yeah, I, 
I need to exercise hospitality. I need to be engaged in the church family. If you're not, after a while, you lose touch, interest, and I'll never see you again. Stand and pray with me about this, would you? Lord, I am so grateful for the church family. Because I know, Lord, as your word says, the potential in that family is that you have administered gifts in your family. Gifts of a word of knowledge, where someone will be in communication in the foyer even today or another time and they have a word that, Lord, you have insight for this person. Or at this altar, as someone may be seeking you in prayer and someone gives them a word of wisdom encouragement, admonition, where we are gathered in this room and we experience, Lord, a prophetic word that brings your word to the forefront. Lord, we welcome these things because they are part of the family. And the workings of the family are so important. Lord, I pray that Abundant Life would be a healthy family engaged this way. And that every factor in every corner would be evaluated in our heart so that we can see if we are fully engaged in that idea. Lord, we don't care what popular church culture might be doing here or there. Lord, we just want to do what you want us to do. We're not following somebody's plan out of a book to grow a church. We, we just want fellowship with you. I praise God, Lord, for those in the room that might know more about this or that than I do. I, I praise God, Lord Jesus. I thank you for those in this room that have a gift of healing uh, greater than I could ever have. Lord, the, I praise you for the ones in this room that are such an encouragement like I never am. Lord, thank you for those. Let your church, God, thrive, I pray. Bless Abundant Life Church. Pour your spirit on her, God. Lord, I pray that you have your way in her. Lord, I pray that your blessing would be upon her. I pray that more leaders would rise up within her. God, I pray that people would begin to engage, Lord Jesus, every person that might walk in the door. And I plead with you, Lord, for revival in this land, revival in our church, revival in our city. God, begin with us. Begin with us, Lord, that no life feels like they've been untouched unhugged, unloved, uncared about. All of them, God. Lord, as we seek you, 